Cashback is not available on gas in New Jersey and Wisconsin. Hey, good morning. You're heading the airport, right? Yeah, thanks for checking. I like the car. How long have you been a rideshare driver? About three years now. I really enjoy it. Isn't it hard to make money these days with the price of gas being so high? Not for me. I use Upside, the free app that gives you cash back for every gallon of gas you buy. Wait a minute. Are you saying you actually get real money back when you get gas with the Upside app? Yep, I get real cash back every time I get gas. Does that actually add up to anything? I'll make around $200 to $300. Wow, that's serious extra cash. I'm downloading the Upside app now. Download the free Upside app now to earn real cash back every time you buy gas. Use promo code CAR for an extra $0.25 a gallon bonus on your first tank. You can cash out anytime right to your bank account, PayPal, or a gift card for Amazon and other brands. Just download the free Upside app and use promo code CAR for a $0.25 a gallon bonus on your first tank. That's code CAR. Greetings, friends. Welcome back to Critically Acclaimed, the film review podcast, where we have sound effects. You reach deep into the vault for that one. Uh, my name is Whitney Seibold. I am a film critic. I contribute to Slash Film, and with me, as always, is my scintillating and far more intelligent co-host, William. Why don't you introduce yourself? I am ever so flattered. My name is William Bibiani. I am a critic. I write for The Rap, and everybody calls me Bibbs. And, uh, hey, did you notice the title of this episode? What is the title of this episode? Well, it's critically acclaimed number 250, ah, which is an our, important number. It's our, uh, uh, what's, what's like a pressure, it's our Xenon anniversary. <laughs> yeah, 200, if you can make it to 250 yeah. years. <laughs> like what, what's the traditional gift and what's the modern gift yeah, for the 250th know. anniversary? I don't even fucking know anymore. Anyway, this is, yeah, we've been doing this, this particular podcast mm-hmm. for 250 episodes, which is, which is a lot. Yeah, and uh, we have nothing special planned. Nope, we're no gonna, special we're, guests. We're just going to do it. <laughs> no tributes, no clip shows, mm-hmm. no nothing. We're going to review movies like we do all the time. I just thought it was worth noting. It's kind of cool to hit a milestone, you know, when you realize yeah, that like... Happy anniversary. Like, damn, we do a lot of podcasts. We do a lot. Yeah. We do. And I'm really grateful to do them with you, Is buddy. Is it 250 specifically of the Critically Acclaimed Just podcast. the Critically Acclaimed. Okay. Just because I, I, it, it, not that long ago I realized that we, we kind of missed it, but um, if you include... Since we started our Patreon, which was about the time... No, it was after we started Cancel Too Soon, okay. and then uh, other shows as well had already begun before we brought them into our Patreon. So it's not a, it's not an exact number. But we've had the Patreon for a while, and if you go by the Patreon, everything that's tagged as a podcast, which is every podcast we've done, whether it's our regular shows or our Patreon-exclusive shows, uh, and that's been going on for like four or five years... Uh, we crossed a thousand not that long ago, <laughs> which is not the first time we've crossed a thousand podcasts. Like our first podcast went on for like about a decade. They're all gone now. They're all dead. I, I have them. You have them in a drawer. Like I, they're I, not I, available I, I, online, <laughs> but in any, and we don't own them anymore, so we can't distribute mm-hmm. them. But, um, regardless, we, we do a lot of podcasts together yes. and I, it is an absolute highlight of every day that we do it. And I just want to say. Thank you once again for being my friend. Thank you for being my partner. Thank you for being such a great critic that I, I want to do this with you well, every single time. Th- thank you. I'm glad I glad I haven't uh, uh, driven you off yet I with, my, with my strange opinions and, uh, and 
and bad thoughts. I, I worry um, more about my boisterousness. <laughs> you're just gonna, gonna one day you're just gonna slap me, and then just walk out, and I'll never and, see you again. And it's weird because, like on on the podcast, I guess you're you're the boisterous one, and I guess that makes me the grump, just kind of by default. Yes, I, I think it's the vibe we kind of give off. But, but I think like out in the world, we kind of like swap a little bit. Yeah, I can be. <laughs> I I know I can be a little loud, but if I'm loud, it's because this is the very specific environment mm. in which I feel confident. Okay. In which I actually have some confidence in what I'm doing, in my knowledge, and my expertise. There's still a lot for me to learn, and we're learning it constantly, and that's part of the whole mm. reason why we do these shows. But I, I like what I do, and I feel like I actually, my, my you know, for, for better or worse, my opinion is something I'm very sure of. Mm-hmm. In any other context, I'm, I'm meek. <laughs> like, I'm just sort of like, yeah, no, we can do whatever. I don't know. Like, I never really, I don't remember math. So whatever you say, like, I don't. That's, so it's, boldly, step forward. Here we go. I yeah. love my job. Yeah. Um, well, how? Uh, what are we boldly reviewing today? What well, today uh, on uh, on uh, critically acclaimed, we're going to be reviewing uh, four new films. We're reviewing the new animated movie. Four. The Oh, four, you said four new films. I thought you said 400 films. Oh, 400 like, films. That's, that's, no, that's our special. that's the... Yeah. I mean, I suppose I could. We, we should yeah. do like a, one of like a... We should do a marathon. I was about to say, for charity. It's like Jerry, Jerry's Kids, that kind of thing. That'd be interesting. Uh, well, uh, in any case, we're reviewing the new animated movie, The Amazing Maurice. Uh, the new move thriller, Baby Ruby. It's a, yeah, it's sort of like a thriller horror you movie. You saw it and I did. Yeah. It's a thriller, okay. Baby, Ru- um, Baby Ruby. The, the new title. werewolf movie, Viking Wolf. And the new M. Night Shyamalan thriller, Knock at the Cabin. And under normal circumstances, we would begin with the movie that had the widest release or uh, the most buzz. Uh, However, in this particular instance, because the film is Knock at the Cabin and because it is an M. Night Shyamalan film and there's a lot of uh, sort of ambiguity and uncertainty until big reveals and such, and because our review of the film is somewhat tied into how the film turns out mm. we're going to save our review of knock at the cabin for the end and we're going to talk about it spoiler free as much as we can and then we're going to give everybody an opportunity to opt out yeah if we decide to really get into spoiler territory we're, we're going to be talking about the end the very end of that movie every I think last we have to. I, I was hoping to try and, to avoid uh, it but i think it's I'm, kind I'm, of vital to the yeah, conversation and i'm, I'm, I'm going to bring it up i'm going to talk about all of it yeah because it's really shitty <laughs> Yeah, little yeah. spoiler there. Spoiler alert! And I and honestly, I was I left the theater. Uh, we mm. saw it together, and yeah. uh, you know we don't really talk in the middle of the movie, uh, so I don't know if he is enjoying it or, mm. or not. And I'm leaving the theater, and I'm like, please tell me Whitney didn't enjoy that. <laughs> please tell me Whitney didn't enjoy that because then I mean it'd be a good conversation on the podcast, but I'd lose so much respect for him. And then you you we you, we made like the same joke afterwards based on <laughs> it's all based on, I couldn't tell you the joke it's not like mean it's just basically like well that happened mm. and um yeah so we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna talk about why we don't think the movie works but we'll talk about that in more detail we'll talk about it in as much spoiler free detail as we can and then we will talk about spoilers but we'll save that for the end we'll give you an opportunity to listen to a whole podcast without getting to that assuming you care some people don't care some people don't mind spoilers. Some people yeah. have, aren't interested in seeing the film, and so they don't care. Some people just don't mind spoilers at all. And some people do care. We want to cater yeah, I, to them as well. I, I'm cautious about giving spoilers. Sure. But I don't care about getting them. Mm. Uh, if, if I learn the ending of a movie or a big surprise, that, that's not a big deal for me. I, I, it's annoying if it's supposed to be a surprise. Like, if, mm. if, you, if you had said, you know, oh, by the way, here's who did it in Glass Onion. Before uh, I saw Glass Onion, I'd be like, oh, that wasn't nice. 
that's kind of the whole point well, of the uh, movie. Like, you know, uh, uh, that, that's, a whodunit's a little different. That's my point. Yeah, there are certain same. specific situations yeah. in which I'm like, I, that's rude. Mm. But I do believe that in a lot of situations, you know, we go to see the same movie over and over again. A lot of movies fall into similar patterns. It's not a surprise to find out mm. the gist yeah. of what happens. Uh, and I'm generally speaking not offended if I find out. And sometimes I've found out just by, you know, sheer unfortunate luck, mm. you know, and came up years earlier so, because someone read the script that kind of thing and I have no control somebody yelled it from a, a car yeah, window something and... yeah yeah. hey Rosebud, Rosebud's a slide oh god yeah. damn it <laughs> that'll be important later I don't know the context yet um, but in any case we'll talk about that later we're gonna dive right in and uh, let's talk right, right away about uh, an animated movie okay. an ambitious animated movie because it is attempting to adapt the works of Terry Pratchett now, Whitney, I think you're more of a Terry Pratchett guy than I am. I've I've read like less than a dozen, but you know, a mm. handful of Terry Pratchett novels. Yeah, I'm 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 familiar with Terry Pratchett. I've really not read a lot of Terry mm. Pratchett. Um, we recently did for our Patreon, I think, it was a commentary track for a very good adaptation mm. of Terry Pratchett's Christmas novel, Hogfather. Yeah, uh, in which death itself, the Grim Reaper, had to replace Santa Claus one Christmas. Yeah, Santa was kidnapped by. Um, like an, an evil assassin yeah. who's using tooth fairy magic to track down Santa. And yeah, yeah it's, um, and, and yeah, all, all of these questions as to like what the function of these sort of mythical characters play in human lives and why it's important mm. is a big part of that novel and, and the, the yeah. miniseries as well. Well, also being a fun uh, Christmas frolic as well. Yeah, right. I, I, and, I and really like the, that. The idea of death in the Santa costume yeah. Very is, funny is also that. funny. I, I'm a really big fan of that adaptation. Yeah. I think that works pretty well. Uh, Terry Pratchett, uh, the late Terry Pratchett, wrote 30-something Discworld novels. And Discworld was his Middle-Earth. Yeah. Uh, It was a very silly Middle-Earth, though. Yeah, it's it's like Middle-Earth by way of Douglas Adams, I think. And I think both Douglas Adams and Terry Pratchett would be flattered by the comparisons. Um, Yeah, it it was a fantasy world with, like, wizards and trolls and all the rest. Uh, It took place on a flat Earth, this big round disc that uh, floated on the back of... Uh, a giant four, turtle. No, it was no, four elephants. My bad, yes. Who in turn were on the back of a giant turtle. So uh, all of the, these creation myths sort of like mixed together. Yeah. And uh, each of the novels sort of explored a different corner of Discworld until you started coming up with like various storylines. There's one about the watch. That is the cops that are on Discworld. There's right. one about Unseen University, which is the wizard school on, of in Discworld, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Uh, and yes, they're all very broad and they're all very funny and there's a lot of recurring characters and everything's incredibly slapstick and wry and, and yeah. incredi- incredibly British. It feels mm. very uh, of its place. Uh, and yeah, I've read, uh, what was the first one I read? It was, it was one of the watch books. Ah. It was called Jingo. Ah. And it was about, the premise really appealed to me. It, uh, it was about these cops, the watch that sort of wanders around mm-hmm. Discworld. And this brand new crime has just been invented, and it's called war. Oh, no. And they don't know how to enforce that. It's like all of these people are trying to, like, conspiring to make this new, to commit this new crime, this war thing. They're going to fight a war. And the cops have to, like, arrest people who are going to war. Uh, it's uh, pretty funny and pretty pretty appealing. Mm. Well, the the uh, gag many people have said for many, many years mm-hmm. is that Terry Pratchett's work tends to be very intricate and sprawling and conceptual and ridiculous, and it kind of defied adaptation, mm. uh, which is why well, we haven't had a lot of them. Yeah, um, 
they tried really hard with good omens. Mm-hmm. I didn't uh, actually I, see that, which is weird. I, it's one of my favorite novels, actually. I, I really love the novel of, yeah. of Good Omens. I've read uh, Terry Pratchett, and I've read Neil Gaiman. I sense more of Terry Pratchett in that book yeah, than that's Neil a, Gaiman. That's it's, a very it's Terry way Pratchett like story. broader and more slapstick. Maybe yeah. the concepts mm. were Neil Gaiman's, the sort of end of the world you, you Antichrist can, stuff. You can definitely, it's a comedy about... Yeah. It's, it's like a spoof of <laughs> The Omen, essentially. Basically, the, the Good Omens, if you've never read it or if you've never mm. seen the show, again, I haven't seen the show, but I know it's basically the same plot. Um, at the beginning of the Omen, uh, a, a a child is replaced with the the Antichrist, mm-hmm. and that will be raised by human beings, and will eventually grow up and take over the world because it is the Antichrist. Uh, the premise of Good Omens is that they misplaced the Antichrist, and they don't know who was raising yeah, him. Wh- which child is is yeah. the correct one? And on top of that, uh, an angel and a demon uh, have decided, after being on Earth for many many millions of years that they rather like humanity mm. and they'd rather not see it go. So they're going to gonna try, try to undermine try the Try to stop, the, yeah, stop yeah. The, the, the end of the world. Full of wonderful wit, really mm. fun storylines and, and great set pieces. And I was a huge fan of Good Omens growing up. Terry Pratchett's writing is loaded with asides. He kind yeah. of gives these like descriptions. And and yeah, things, foot, yeah. yeah there's, there are literal footnotes in his mm. books. About you know the history of the book that somebody's telling, and it's all very whimsical. Yeah. Um, and you can, if you're adapting that to the screen, you can either have a narrator, which mm-hmm. would just stretch things out. Yeah. Or you can have somebody mention it in dialogue, and it feels really inor- inorganic. Mm-hmm. Or uh, you can cut that all out, and then it doesn't feel like Terry Pratchett. Exactly. Um, yeah. Dangerous. Uh, Good Omens cuts it all out. Oh really? It's not funny. Oh, that's a bummer. Yeah. So it's just like a serious. So I, I kind oh, of, I kind mm-hmm. of gave it out like there. It, it's trying to get, like, mind humor out of just sort of some of these scenarios, like these characters. Oh, there's an angel and there's a demon and they're kind of funny, weird acting mm. dudes. And I, I thought they were well, really well cast. You got Michael mm. Sheen and uh, uh, David as, Tennant. Yeah, as, Michael Sheen was the angel and David yeah. Tennant was the, the demon. I thought the, that was really good. Ca- and, my, and there, there that seems, was really good casting. Their scenes together are okay. Mm. I know yeah. uh, the reason a lot of people like the show is that they, they envision those characters as lovers. And, oh yeah, uh, and yeah, that they yeah. were that they were dating, and because they're very affectionate with one another, there's like mm. holding wings over each other's heads when it rains, that kind of yeah. thing. And uh, that's in the book. I mean, it's not it's not textual, but it's no, uh, no, no. it's the interpretation's fair. It, it's fair, but you yeah. know that that's that's not enough to keep keep me interested. Is no, the no, problem. no, no, like no, I can I can envision that, but that yeah, yeah, I did not like the the TV adaptation, but I do love the book, and uh, I'm curious to know that uh, if this Terry Pratchett adaptation mm. goes full bore narrator. Yeah. Or if it has to just sort of rely on the whimsy of its scenario. Yeah. Narrator. Oh, good. Okay. Yeah. Is it uh, Stephen Fry? <laughs> it is not Stephen Fry, unfortunately. <laughs> is it uh, Hugh Laurie, then? <laughs> no, no, no. It's, um, uh, what's her name? Uh, who plays the character of Malicia? Mm. Uh, Emma Thompson. Uh, Amelia Clark. Oh, Amelia Clark. All right. Yeah. Um, okay, so this this particular book, and this I haven't read this one. It's mm. called The Amazing Maurice... Uh, it is based off a book called, uh, I think it's The Amazing Maurice and His Educated Rodents. Okay. Uh, Maurice is a cat. Okay. The cat is voiced by Hugh Laurie. Good casting. Uh, the cat, unlike the other animals in Discworld, which is kind of weird, actually, if you think so about it. So this is a Discworld movie. This is a Discworld movie. It doesn't go, it doesn't go you know, full mythos. Okay. But at some point in the movie... We have it 100% confirmed that it's this world because death is there. And also, as you know, if you've read this world books, mm-hmm. uh, there are two deaths. There's death and, there's and death of rodents. That's right. So, so there is a, a rat. 
a there is a rat Grim Reaper. It's it's a rat and they, Grim and they Reaper, do yeah. show up at one point. Okay, uh, All right. so so yeah. it's it's definitely Discworld. There's a cute bit where there's like a bunch of like action happening and people might die, and then it like kind of cuts to death and the rat, and they're just sort of hanging off on the side, being like, "Busy day." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so this is technically a Discworld story. Uh, however, even though Discworld is a place where there's a lot of magic and a lot of fantasy and a lot of uh, various stories and fairy tales and things from our world are very real. Animals don't talk. That's not a thing. Mm. They don't do that. Maurice does. Ah, and right. so, do a whole bunch of rats in a very secretive Nim kind of way. And we find out early on that the rats were the rats who were rummaging around in the garbage outside of the Magic Academy and they drank some goo. And now and, they can, and they learn to speak. All and right. now they've learned how to speak and now they have... Uh, they're they're reasonably intelligent. They have taken names for themselves, and they have found religion, which right. is kind of a big deal. Now, rat, Maurice, rat religion. Mm-hmm. Maurice, uh, as a cat, has teamed up with the rats, and he has convinced them that a very Beatrix Potter-like book called "Mr. Bunny Goes on an Adventure" <laughs> is actually a sacred text, and it promises a utopian world in which. Animals wear clothing and and live side by side with humans. All right. Uh, however, in order to get to that utopian world, we got to make a lot of money first. So he is teamed up with a uh, very amateurish Pied Piper type. All right. Uh, and this Pied Piper is going to uh, basically they flood the town with their rats. It's very, it's very much like the movie The Frighteners. They flood the town with rats. Everyone's like, "Oh no, rats!" Maurice comes in, sells them on the idea of the Pied Piper. The Pied Piper comes in. He dances them all out of town, and then they collect their money and they all go off down to, onto the next con. Okay. Perfectly fine as a, as a premise. Problem is, they go to the next town and they say, this is going to be our last job. The rats developed a conscience. They don't like conning people anymore. This is going to be the last job. They go to a town. Not only are there, like, it, it, the, the town is a plot among, uh, afoot. So uh, there are no other rats there. Okay. But... Something is stealing all of the food, and they don't know what. Uh, there are a couple of rat catchers who claim to have caught all the rats, uh-huh. but they're also still mucking around, and we don't know why. Uh, and uh, they run into, I believe it is like the, the mayor or the governor's daughter. Her name, her name is Malicia. She's played by Amelia Clark. Uh, and she has been a bookworm her whole life. She's been reading nothing but books, and every single thing that she sees... Every single thing that she interacts with, every single person that she talks to, she basically r- rattles off... TV tropes at them. If you've been to oh, TV right. tropes, the website where it's basically every every Talk. cliche in a movie has a or a TV show has a name. He's talking about like the function of the plot points as she encounters them. Yes. So she's convinced that she is part of a story, and she is going to say, "Oh, and this must be the part where you reveal that you have some secret information." And he's like, "No." Hmm. Well, this must be the part where you reveal that you're in love with me. <laughs> no. Okay, and so that's kind of funny in a vacuum, but in practice it is just sucking all the air out of the room, yeah. which is really, really frustrating. She's she's narrating this piece, and she is she opens her narration with narration about narration. And that's, it, uh, that, that's it, adorable. It's, it, it's, it's cute, but it gets old kind of quick. I was going to say, does it work, or is no. it just insufferable? It's, it's, it's kind of amusing, but it's never funny, hmm. which is frustrating. Like, it, this is all very... Witty, but it's never actually eliciting a laugh. I think I might have laughed once hmm. at this whole movie, which is frustrating because this is very much my kind of humor. Um, 
It turns out there's a whole scheme going on. There's a whole bunch of uh, uh, different fairy tale characters are involved in ways you might not have expected. Uh, and it all leads to plot points, which this is an animated movie. CG animated. Looks okay. Uh, it's not low budget, but it's also not, you know, the, the, the swankest CG you've ever seen. Um, it's not, you know, full of eye-popping detail, but it's, it's functional. It gets the job done. Uh, it gets dark, like a lot darker than I thought it would. Okay. In a way that... De- death is a character. Death so, is a yeah. character, but I did not expect it to be nearly as grim as it gets. And this is a movie that for about two thirds of the running time is perfectly acceptable for kids of all ages. All Might right. be talking a little over their heads with some of this metatextual stuff, but you know, perfectly fine. Uh, and then one of the rats gets kidnapped and is put into, um, I forget what they call it. There's a name for it where, uh, you get a big, uh, uh, like a big hole and you put a bunch of rats in the hole and then you release a feral dog and to see how long the rats last. Okay. Really horrifying, terrible stuff that human beings should never be doing. Um, Just feeding rats to a dog. Yeah, but for sport. It's a violent gladiator sport. Yeah, and again, these are these rats are people. These rats are characters here. So it's when right. we see, you know, rats being murdered this way, not too vividly, but very clear on screen, it's really sobering and not really in a, <laughs> not really in a fun way. And then... Towards the end, there are dark moments in kids' films. There are absolutely dark moments in kids' films. What I am saying is, this feels like a major about face in the rest of the movie. Okay. It would be one thing if, like, you know, like, okay, yeah, there's some. It's it's like, I'm trying to remember, like, I'm trying to think of a good example here. Um, It's like you're watching, I don't know, Jimmy Neutron. (laughs) And then, like, halfway through an episode of Jimmy Neutron, they kill Bambi's mom. It's like, okay, that was not the show we were watching. We were not prepared for that. That was not the context we were in. And it's kind of freaky, actually, that you went there so so just suddenly. Very bizarre. Uh, And then towards the end, when it becomes a lot more about the organized religion aspect, and there's uh, one rat, actually a rat who is uh, voiced by um, uh, David Tennant, named Dangerous Beans. (laughs) Dangerous Beans is the Moses of rats. Okay. And he is the one who is trying to guide his flock in a very moral direction, in a very mm. uh, spiritual direction. And uh, the, the the finale between Dangerous Beans and whoever turns out to be the ultimate villain of the piece, which I won't run, um, is also really dark. <laughs> like a lot of a lot of really grim tonal stuff. And I it was just weird actually the way that it right. sort of came together. Um, that's more of a warning than anything else. I just want to make sure that if like you were thinking about taking your kids, you should know it gets a, it gets pretty heavy towards the end. Uh, so gauge that. That's just it's a content warning. It's not really a critique. Mm. So it's a little bit of a sharp turn, but it's it's not the problem with the movie. The problem with the movie is it's not funny. It's that's, just it's yeah, just not very funny. Yeah. The the characters uh, range from amusing conceptually to plank of wood like the the pied piper character like our main human character besides amelia clark played by himesh patel um has no personality hmm. on the page or otherwise like just an absolute blank slate of a character and he's walking around like we give a crap and we don't he's just there <laughs> for the plot um hugh laurie is very very fun uh amelia clark i think is i think she knows the character that she's doing but i think somewhere down the line 
the timing of her delivery didn't translate to the movie they were making. And as a result, she just... It, it, I'm trying to think of like... Okay, do you remember in The Box Trolls? Oh, yeah. The Box Trolls. I'm very, like I'm very a, fond of The Box Trolls. I'm very fond so. of The Box Trolls, too. Like animation, kind of a bizarre film, kind of gross, but fun. Gr- that's one of its selling points, it is. is it's how gross it is. It's a legitimately mm. gross kids it's like, movie, and it's it's fun. There's like exploding pustules yeah. and then yeah really the, gross the, the, the trolls themselves are kind of disgusting yeah. and, and, and again that's part of the appeal um there's the whole plot is there's a little boy and he's been raised by these trolls who live in boxes underground and mm-hmm. he doesn't know what it's like to be human he thinks he's a box troll and he ends up on the surface world and he encounters a, a little girl who i think is also the daughter of a mayor oh maybe they read the amazing maurice i don't know um and she is very excited about adventures and violence. Yes. She like she finds herself in the world of the box trolls and she doesn't understand that they're nice people. She's like, no, don't kill me. Don't rip me rim, limb from limb. Don't. What, what are you doing? You're not, you're not killing me. You're not ripping me limb from limb. I thought we were doing this. <laughs> I was looking forward to that. Like, there was the, uh, oh, you, oh, you're a human who was raised amongst the box trolls. Did they, did they kidnapped kidnap your parents and rip them apart and you got to watch? I mean, did they make you watch? (laughs) That's, that's the kind of vibe that I think they're going for here. But it, it doesn't track because she doesn't really, it it feels not that she's like out of place. It would feel like, um, okay, here's, here's a better example. A lot of people's favorite character in the scream movies is Randy. The character played by, uh, uh, Jamie Kennedy. Yeah. Because he's the one who knows all the rules. He's the one who watches all the Mm -hmm. movies. Uh, imagine Scream if Randy was the protagonist. Okay. It's a different vibe. I, I suppose He's so, a little yeah. more detached. He's a little bit more, uh, uh, you know, the emotions don't run as deep. Yeah. And because the main breakout character of the film is perpetually detached, the movie feels detached. Hmm. And it never really gets that uh, sort of soul yeah. that I think it's looking for. Uh, and because it's kind of spreading itself pretty thin. It's not just about Maurice. Maurice actually does have a character journey to go on. It's not just about the rats. They have a character journey. It's not just about Malisha. She doesn't. It's not just about the, the Pied Piper. He really fucking doesn't. Um, it, it just feels unfocused and it, I, it's, it's, a, I, again, I wish I'd read the book cause I could maybe try to figure out where the adaptation went wrong, but it's clear that there are pieces in here that are interesting and funny and worth turning into a movie, and it's not a bad movie. Like I've seen worse movies, that's for sure. It's not like an an abominable thing. It's just clearly the alchemy is off. You know, it's like you found yeah, you, um, it's like you found the formula to turn lead into gold, but you you didn't carry a one, and now you can't replicate I, it, and that's the version that we get. I, I know that uh, having read Terry Pratchett's novels, that's. Yeah. I wouldn't call his writing style detached, but it is observant. It's very yeah. objective. He looks at his characters as if they're sort of weird curios in a little jar that mm-hmm. he's kind of examining. And he, he seems to feel that way about a lot of humanity. I've read some uh, interviews with Terry Pratchett, and he tends to uh, be a little bit sort of whimsically baffled and uh, by humanity, and he kind of accepts the foibles of, of humankind with sort of a weary resignation uh, but he's not a cynic. Mm. He, there's there's not sort of like a darkness to his work. He's no, actually he's kind, of, kind of kind of amused by it. And, and uh, yeah. a lot of the things that 
other author like he points out that there's like a lot of lies and deceit going on with the way uh, humans operate mm. but he also seems that uh, this is sort of like a vital part of our nature and a lot of it is not harmful he's actually like a, a weirdly pragmatic you know philosophically mm. so uh, it's possible to read that and see it as sort of emotional detachment and terry pratchett i guess Sure, you could call his style detached, but mm. I don't think that's quite accurate. And that sounds like that's what this yeah. movie is doing. It feels a little detached. It it just feels like they're trying to put everything in there, and I think it probably would have done them more good to just try to find the core of the story uh-huh. and let the other things fall in where they fit. Mm. And yeah, it's 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 okay. Yeah, that's what it boils down to. It's just okay. Uh, I'm I'm probably skewing on the verge of because uh, we rate movies on a scale of C minus to C plus, a C is average. I'm probably skewing to like a C minus, but it's not a harsh oh, no. critique. It's just this movie doesn't quite work, and it's mm-hmm. it's disappointing because the, oh, there's a lot of great material here and there's stuff I like in it, but I just I can't imagine watching it again right. I, unless it's to like try to unless it's after I've read the book and I'm trying to figure out what went wrong. Yeah. Uh, but tell me about uh, tell me about this this baby movie with the rubies. <laughs> about this baby movie, yeah. Um, this is a horror movie. Ah. It was uh, written and directed by a uh, uh, acclaimed uh, theater director named Bess Wool, and uh, it stars uh, Noemi Merlant uh, from Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was just in Tar. Mm-hmm. Great uh, actor. Yeah, she's she's really really wonderful. Um. I think she's been up for a couple of Cesars. Um, mm. I didn't notice her until Portrait of a Lady on Fire. She was in a lot of uh, short films and TV shows in uh, in France. Um, yeah, Portrait of a Lady on Fire was the first one I saw. Yeah, and that's a hell of a it's a hell of an introduction. I didn't realize this, but the director uh, Bess Wool, mm. uh, not only was she an actor, she's had an interesting acting career. She was in the uh, Tim Allen version of the Shaggy Dog. Yeah. She was in the 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 Lady Vanishes quasi remake Flight Plan with Jodie Foster. She was on an episode of mm. Bones, so uh, that's cool. Mm. Yeah, fun trivia. Um, she uh, she directed uh, uh, sort of a, a pregnancy thriller that I think is kind of uh, adjacent to something like The Babadook, hmm. in that it's a film that deals very directly with uh, the taboo subject of being a mother who resents your child. Mm. Yeah, no one, uh, no one likes to talk about that. The, yeah, uh, and yeah. yeah, and that's not in any of the baby books. And a lot of the, the a lot of the language you'll find out around pregnancy is incredibly condescending, mm-hmm. uh, and it's it's also uh, very presumptive. You're reading these books about, you know, what to expect when you're expecting. Yeah. And a lot, so a lot of these books are actually very helpful and they lay out sort of the technical aspect, the biological aspect, yeah. you know, the symptoms you might encounter uh, when you're carrying a child. Yeah. Uh, but a lot of them are tend to have this sort of like gentle beatific air about them. Mm-hmm. Like being pregnant is this sort of blissful Magical experience. Yeah. For some women, I'm sure it is. Mm-hmm. For many, it isn't, and that it's, uh, it's and, so disregarded. Yeah, I've seen so many movies where, like, I, I think there was—I um, don't know how she does it, 
with Sarah Jessica Parker. Okay. Uh, which is a movie where she's uh, she's a she's a businesswoman. Yeah, she's like super wealthy and she's, has like nannies. And she's stuff, super wealthy. So, yeah. Her husband is super wealthy. Yeah. They have so a I know brownstone in New they're York. Wealthy. Yeah, yeah, they're wealthy and they have nannies and shit. And yeah, of course she's also busy. I get it, but it's a hell of a lot easier for her than a lot of other people. But there's a character in the film who doesn't want to be a mom and is sort of like looking down her nose at moms and then eventually she gets pregnant and it's just a sort of like ah but when it happens to you mm-hmm. you'll understand and of course she's like no I don't really think it will and then of course by the end of the movie they hand her her baby and she's like I get it yeah. now and like yeah some people that's what it's yeah, like I, and some I, uh, people just it doesn't click yeah yeah, you know? uh, or it doesn't click for a while even you've read um mm. I think it was War and Peace. You've heard War and Peace? No, I've actually never read War and Peace. I recommend it. Yeah, it's, it's I'm really familiar wonderful. with the basic um, concepts, but I've never seen them together in the Ka- same room at the same time. I, I think Karenina, um, yeah, Anna Karenina, like dramatically is more interesting, but War and Peace is just mm. towering. It's really wonderful. Yeah. But I, I recall a scene: one of the characters had a child, and uh, oh no, this this was Karenina, um, oh. where uh, he held his child and felt like kind of disgust yeah it's like this this like little quivering it's like still covered in like afterbirth and it's like i don't i don't know what to do with this quivering yeah. thing and it took a little while for the father yeah. Yeah. to sort of understand oh wait this is like a per this is gonna grow into a person yeah like a, a little while after the child was born so yeah if even in literature it's like you don't all just naturally fall in love with your infant child yeah. when you're, and that doesn't when inherently mean yeah. you're gonna be a bad parent no it just it it's yeah. not like it's not the same for every single person. And but, we uh, need to have a better conversation about that. But the birth industry has yeah. a very specific narrative about pregnancy and childbirth that they're selling. Yeah. And it's something that is very photogenic. This idea that uh, you can kind of construct the perfect nursery, construct the perfect pregnancy outfit, uh, still enjoy things that you could before you were pregnant, but then also, you know... Mm enjoy being pregnant um and it's yeah it's all very lifestyle oriented Mm -hmm. it's more about fashion a lot of it's Uh, what they can sell you yeah it's an industry Uh, as well this is a movie very much about that because Naomi Merlant plays a character named Joe and Joe is an Instagram influencer Ah. who sells lifestyle and she becomes pregnant and makes that part of her <coughs> video blog. She has an agent who's always in and out of her house, figuring out ways to photograph her. Yeah. Uh, she wear, lives in, uh, and her, uh, she's, this is a film in English, but she's playing a French character. Mm. So she's uh, sort of selling that as her narrative, you know, f- French woman in America, yeah. learning sort of the rustic beauty of, of your country. Yeah. And yeah, so when she gets pregnant, uh, she starts working that into her lifestyle narrative. Here's yeah. how I'm arranging the the nursery. Here's like the classes I'm taking. Yeah. When the baby's born. The pictures stop coming, and that's an issue for an influencer. You want to show that baby right away. You don't wait a month. Yeah. She wait. Uh, the issue is, and we cut. There's like a hard cut to her actually giving birth. And it's miserable. Like, it's all out of focus. Mm. There's all these jarring horror noises. There's blood everywhere. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's, like, terrifying for her. Just just, just giving birth. Nothing's going wrong. Just giving birth is yeah, terrifying. Yeah, it's, it's, it's weird yeah. if you think about it, yeah. And the baby, baby Ruby, uh, cute little baby, played by a real baby. No, that's nice. Uh, is... It's a shame that doll from American Sniper doesn't get any more <laughs> You'd think after it was in an Oscar, it was in Best Picture nominated movie, and Look, it just can't get any more work. It's in a Planet Hollywood in Las Vegas somewhere now. It's fine. 
<laughs> it's been a glass case next to the Fonz's jacket. Uh, they, um, uh, Joe keeps keeps looking at this baby, and the baby doesn't stop crying. It's like all of a sudden she's an eraser head. Yeah. It's a completely miserable life for her. She can't sleep. Mm-hmm. The baby's crying all the time, and she has become convinced that this baby is angry at her. Okay, that's for, what we need for, to for talk be, about Kevin for as be, well. Yeah, like, that's that's also an element of this. And she yeah. begins to suspect that the baby kind of resents her yeah. for being a bad mom. Uh, she takes the baby on walks. The baby doesn't start, stop crying. And of course, she's comparing herself to the other moms in the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And they're all fit and mm-hmm. wearing nice, expensive jogging outfits. Yeah. And they push the babies in strollers. And they always stroll on past. And she's like barely staying upright. Uh, and... It, she starts to lose it a little bit. Is she a and, single mom? Does she have like someone no, else in the uh, picture? Um, or, or? Kit Harrington is the dad. Oh, okay. He's, and he's All living right. with her as well. Oh, right, just curious. Just yeah, curious K- about that. Kit Harrington, who was in Pompeii and... Um, Other things. Uh, oh, uh, oh, and uh, Seventh Son. She was in the Seventh Son, remember, with uh, J- Jeff Bridges? Which one was that? That was the one with Jeff Bridges and Julianne Moore. It was like the, the YA fantasy film. Oh, I didn't see that one. Oh, it's better than you might think. Okay. The joke is he was in Game of Thrones, and we know he was in Game of Thrones. Well, but I, the joke, I've never he, seen Game of Thrones, so I, yeah, he was I, a big I can't, deal in, I can't, can't a, say how it was on Game of Thrones. He was a big deal in Game of Thrones, his movie career, less exciting. Yeah. Less exciting. Uh, I think he was I, in, I was he was, he in Silent Hill 2? Was he? I think he was. <laughs> if so, The movie, sorry, not dude. the game. Yeah, so, yeah. The Silent Hill revelation is a, a, that was a, a, it's a abysmal movie. That's one of the worst. Uh, it was in Eternals. That was another one he was in. Which one? He was in Eternals. Was it? Oh, that's right. Yeah. It, was the, it was the human boyfriend. It was really good. And then at the end, he, it he turns out not, he's another He's guy. not registering in my mind. He's like a yeah. non-entity as an actor. I, I maybe, maybe he's good on Game of Thrones, but he's not good in any of the well, movies I've in, seen him in. In Game of Thrones, they give him material. In movies, they rarely do. Yeah. <laughs> he's just basically like... He's like the you husband be, or the boyfriend. You can yeah. be the dude. I'm like, okay, I guess I'll be the dude. I don't know. <laughs> okay, you play the boy. Yeah, oh, okay. Uh, uh, and, yeah... There's constant imagery and constant like jarring sounds and weird shadows and these weird weird hallucinatory sequences where it's clear Joe is like kind of going a little bit mad. In fact, uh, when she's taking the baby home from the hospital, she sees like a neighbor mom walking her baby and kind of like cooing. And then uh, there's sort of this hard cut and the the mom is like staring right at her really angry. It's like this nightmare image. And she takes the baby like while looking at her, she takes the baby out of her own baby out of the the mm-hmm. stroller and just hucks it really hard at, like the car window. It's like, oh shit! <laughs> Jesus. And of course it's like this hallucination yeah. sequence. There's a lot of those. A lot of these sort of fake outs where it looks mm-hmm. like something really horrible has happened. Oh no, it looks like the dog has eaten the baby. There's like ah. baby related horror images which are, you know, plenty that, shocking. That's, yeah, by definition. Like, it's, um, you know. That gets a little repetitive after a while mm-hmm. where all of these sort of like baby horror fake outs. The... Points where the movie's actually strong are the ones that are a little bit more relatable, like when she decides to go out drinking with the moms mm. and falls asleep. She 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 gets really like really intoxicated, does some perhaps unwise things, and then falls asleep in the car. And she gets up and like she's still like makeup smeared and sort of in her party dress. She wakes up in the car and says, "That was the best sleep I've had in months." Like yeah. <laughs> like, like passing out in the car from drinking too much is not a low point for her. That's actually like a great yeah. release moment for her. And she starts to imagine Rosemary's Baby style that uh, the the baby is like supernaturally evil perhaps yeah, in some way it's like parasitic it's or it's not even a month old and it's already like biting her with teeth which is a little strange but mm. then they check the mouth and the baby doesn't have teeth mm. uh yeah the, 
and uh, she begins to suspect that her uh, her husband, Kit mm. Harrington, and her mother-in-law, who enters the film really late in the proceedings, mm. might be trying to do something with the baby, like like uh, kidnap her, mm. kidnap baby Ruby. She begins to suspect that there's no babies in those strollers that the other moms are pushing. They're just sort of orchestrating things. Mm. Um, all of this is really relatable. All of this is pretty interesting. And I like sort of the horror imagery that's sort of being mixed into this. Yeah. And it doesn't conclude. It, it doesn't. At all? It doesn't come to. Well, I mean, it, it. it's still going. It's playing somewhere. <laughs> no, um. The movie just sort of like ends. Like there, there's sort of this mm. denouement moment, the sort of where she gets to sort of like face herself in in sort of the significant way. Mm. But it's not satisfying. It doesn't wrap up any of the images mm. we've seen. It's Bummer. more an experience film about what it feels <sighs> like to be a new parent and a little bit overworked and condescended to to the point where you're going a little bit mad. To yeah. the point where she's like screaming mm. into the the baby's crib, "I will not let you win," uh, which is a wonderful moment. Yeah, bad. Naomi Merlin, any any actress would have a ball with that. Naomi, Naomi Mar- Merlin does uh, a wonderful job with it. Yeah. Uh, so it, it's not solid as a feature film, but I think there's a lot of really good mood moments, a lot mm. of good horror moments well, that are at least worth watching. I, I like the idea, in principle anyway, mm. of um, looking at uh, how contemporary internet culture, especially people who like live online, people who are mm. influencers and the like, um, how that skews their perspective on mm. events in life. A- actual which, reality. Yeah, which, again, whether or not you're going to be a, a good mom, whether or not you're immediately going to connect mm. to your child or whatever, um, you know, living online requires us to imagine we're being observed. Yeah. Requires us to be hyper aware of how people see us and how we see others and how we, and how we compare to others. And there's a lot of fodder in there for psychological horror. Mm-hmm. Um so conceptually, it sounds it sounds like a good idea. In in the last like two years alone, I yeah. I can't I can't even count anymore mm. the number of like horror films I've seen about or and dramas I've seen about influencers and influencer yeah. culture. We're just we're exploring that as yeah. as a culture right now and how being online and mixing up reality with fantasy or using uh, sort of the safety of online living to create an identity for ourselves. Mm. And that was the, a big theme of we're all going to the world's fair. Yeah. Uh, sort of moving into a space where uh, your body is itself mutable. Yeah. Um, that, that's a big theme of that movie. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, th- I think just we're sort of understanding that a lot of our online identity and we're finally reckoning with this decades on. Yeah. You know, when the, we should have been making horror films like this in like 1995. Well, we Instead were, we were making crap like The Net. That's the but, thing. Uh, like yeah. we, we, we thought the internet was, we couldn't predict the psychological impact of the internet. Yeah. yeah. I think that's probably fair to say. I think well, the, it, the, the mind, devastating psychological yeah. effect of the internet. Uh, and how social the, uh, media would affect in particular. In the movie Hackers from yeah. 1995. Mm, yeah. Uh, the Matthew Lillard character, he plays mm. a character named Serial Killer, Serial with a C. Like Fruit Loops. Yeah. Um, <laughs> line of dialogue. It is. Uh, he gives this like little miniature tirade about how in the internet age, uh, we are, but we've been reduced to numbers on paper. Yeah. Where our bank accounts, you know, we are just sort of a collection of information as far as computers are concerned. Right. And we have no names. So that's where hacker names come up with. Come yeah. Up, we, we come, come up, from. we construct our own identity. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So they, like, they kind like of were the X Men. Weirdly, Hackers was the only movie to sort of brush up against like modern concepts yeah. of uh, online life and identity. Mm. 
It'd be kind of cool uh, to do like a series. Like almost, I almost wanted. We're not going to do another podcast. I almost <laughs> want to do another podcast that would be literally just let's look at the way that early movies about the internet hmm. portrayed the internet. Like, and it yeah. would be everything from you know crappy horror movies like Fear.com to <laughs> uh, you know ostensibly swank thrillers like Untraceable. You know, oh, I didn't see Untraceable. I didn't see Untraceable either, either but it's another yeah, one where the I serial remember, killer has access to the internet. Oh no! I remember seeing a big scare of the internet early. On. Well, we're all <coughs> off topic. A little off topic. Um, it's fine. <clears throat> this is the, why we're here. I saw a film called uh, My Little Eye, and this was prior to a lot of the cyber thrillers. This was like I don't remember this one. What is this one? Um, and it was it was uh, an online stuff film kind of thing. One oh, of the, okay, like one hardcore the, or something. Yeah, yeah, one of the film one of the fears about uh, early internet culture was mm. that it w- wasn't traceable. You yeah. couldn't figure out where some of these videos video signals were coming from. Mm. So uh, the fear that you'd be able to do something incredibly untoward mm. and something completely illegal and just sort of throw it up online and not face any consequences was palpable at the time. Yeah. So yeah, it was about. Um, these characters who were doing this sort of online living, this we live in public experiment. Uh, and it turns out, of course, that they're being like stalked and they're uh, you know, being denied food I, and weapons are sent to them. That oh, kind of wow. Stuff. Okay, that sounds uh, kind of neat. Yeah, and of course, they're That'd being be cool. secretly watched by billionaires who want to watch people die. Oh, okay. So it's more it's more uh, unfriended, too, than Halloween Resurrection. Uh, better than both. Oh, well, that's very good. <laughs> Wait, no, that's actually a very low bar. Isn't it? Yeah, I was about to say. <laughs> that's, that's very... Mm. But but now it's turned <sighs> into an entire culture, and uh, yeah. you know, there's documentaries about it. There's stuff like Fake Famous, or uh, if you want to look at the darker end of it, there's stuff like Feels Good Man. Uh, yeah. Feels Good Man is excellent, by the way. Uh, yeah. It's about um, the creator of Pepe the Frog. The actual cartoonist and yeah. how, his, and how his, his art was co-opted by this like fascist movement. But what started as just like an underground comics character mm-hmm. who was just kind of chill, uh, eventually became like officially like registered, like it, it's on like a list of hate speech. Yeah, like registered like, hate symbols. Like to, to use Pepe the Frog in like uh, a posting or as like your mm-hmm. avatar is well-established code for I'm a bigot. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, you, you you believe in the the fascist, uh, the yeah. modern fascists, and it must be so fucking weird to see your work co opted like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and there's nothing you can do about it. No, like, it's out of your hands yeah, after a while. Yeah, you can say no, but they're still mm-hmm. gonna do it. Um, but yeah, a, a, something that is seen as both light and dark is this idea of yeah, your mm-hmm. online persona, as especially Instagram is yeah. typically Very that's that's the big one right now. Yeah. Instagram uh, and TikTok, those are the two. Yeah, yeah, and. Mm-hmm. And, of course, all of these things are very carefully constructed persona, and uh, there are things about life that can't be cleanly presented, or if they are, there's going to be a mess behind that you're not seeing. Yeah, it's going to be ultra-sanitized. This is a movie that is very much about that sort of clash, uh, about how just sort of the the realities of raising a child when trying to present this sort of beatific version of yourself uh meanwhile you know the the lampshades are crooked and there's clutter everywhere and you you, you know there's vomit in your hair uh it's it's very blunt it's very obvious a lot of the, like i said a lot of the horror imagery is very repetitive this might have been better as like a tales from the crypt kind of episode mm-hmm. like or like an hour so, so a little punch here. Like, yeah. you know, about an hour but you know i i like some of the the horror images i just wish it had a little bit had come to a little bit more of a conclusion because it just sort of just is and that's that yeah well, speaking of and that's that. Uh, there's a new werewolf movie on Netflix called Viking Wolf. Hooray! It is a werewolf movie 
from Norway. Okay. And you know what? Hmm. The image I had in my head from the title Viking Wolf. And I knew all I knew was Viking Wolf. It's a werewolf movie. And I heard the werewolf look pretty cool. That's all I knew going into this. That's all I heard. Uh, and I imagined like the most badass heavy metal album cover mm-hmm. with like a fucking werewolf with an axe. Yeah. You know, and like and like on top of like a pile of corpses and shit. Fucking awesome. That's not this movie at all. Uh, this is uh this is a story about uh, a teenager who has moved to a small town in Norway with her mother, who is uh, a police officer. She's been transferred. Uh, she's a teenager, this young girl, and she is eager to get out of the house. She doesn't like her mom's new boyfriend. He's fine. She just doesn't like him. Uh, and um, she goes out partying. She goes out drinking. Everyone's hanging out by this like kind of like river near the woods where the kids go to drink. Um, she's talking to a cute guy. Another girl gets jealous. She pulls the cute guy aside. And wouldn't you know it, uh, they're all attacked by a wolf. Okay. Uh, the, the other girl gets pulled into the woods and mauled and killed. And uh, that happens to be the mayor's daughter. So it's a, it's even worse than it would normally be, uh, in terms of just how, how big a deal is going to be made out of it. Um, and of course our heroine gets bitten. Yeah. Uh, the story kind of uh, uh, bifurcates at that point, and it is half about the teenage daughter mm. as she is starting to wolf out. And there's a couple of good bits, I think, early on where they equate. Uh, the setup is very similar to the movie Ginger Snaps, which I still maintain is the gold standard for werewolf movies mm. in terms of maybe not in terms of makeup, but in terms of just storytelling and allegory. Mm. Um in Ginger Snaps, a uh, young teenager is bitten by a werewolf, and the transformation into a werewolf uh, becomes a metaphor for uh, puberty, mm. where uh, you know the the first time uh, you 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 menstruate and you start like, oh, there's hair where there weren't places there were hair before, but I'm a werewolf, so it's everywhere, uh, you know that kind of thing. Oh, yeah. I'm interested in boys and killing them, that kind of thing. Mon- monsterism is a metaphor for puberty. Is- actually pretty common it's pretty common it's it's not always so it's, handled as well as i think it is in I mean, snaps but it's pretty common a lot a lot of people said you know mm. why do you think the riding hood is red you know yeah. that's that's menstruation metaphor yeah exactly um i just think ginger snaps happens to do it really really well um here they use it not as a metaphor for uh and for puberty which was kind of the obvious route they use it as a metaphor for ptsd which is kind of neat hmm. so like the moments where all of a sudden you know you're you she's experienced a, a violent traumatic event and now, all of a sudden, she'll suddenly sort of detach from everything, and like her hearing will get really, really weird, and uh, you know she'll start having these panic attacks and seeing things. And you know, you could immediately jump to werewolf, or you could assume she has PTSD. They don't do a lot with it, but that's that's the vibe. Meanwhile, the mom is trying to investigate what looks like a wolf attack, and I appreciate this movie for saying this because too many movies about wolves and werewolves fall into the trap of demonizing wolves. Uh, wolves... Like, like the animals. Like the actual animal. It's, it's a lot along the same lines as the movie Jaws, which is about a man-eating shark. Sharks aren't actually that much of a threat to mankind. No. It, like it, they, it, when, it, when it happens, they, it's they, newsworthy. They, That's the whole bit, thing. The thing is, sharks bite people, but sharks have bad eyesight. Yeah, they'll just uh, bite anything moving, really. Well, no, what happens is if, uh, you know... They like to eat seals, right? Yeah. 
And the way a shark will uh, eat a seal is it'll bite the seal, wait for it to bleed out a yeah. little bit, you know, weekend, and then it'll eat the, the seal. Yeah. Um, think of how a, what a seal looks like floating on the surface of the water from below. Right. Looks like a surfer, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. How somebody looks like on a surfboard. So there are all these stories about surfers getting bitten by sharks. That's why. They look like seals. Yeah. The shark doesn't have a thirst for human blood. Yeah. And just, even then, just confused you for its actual prey. But and but but people have been killed by sharks before. It's rare, but it has happened. Wolves don't eat people. Mm. They just don't. It's, it. You actually look at the history. It's not on the record. Mm. It doesn't happen. Like they may have like eaten a dead body that was in the woods for a yeah. long time or something like that. But they don't hunt people. They don't. They'll they'll hunt your chickens if you're a farmer, and that might be a reason for you to not like having them around. But we also need them for the ecosystem. That's like a vital part of the ecosystem. Like you can, it's actually like a pretty clear line between we had wolves, we removed the wolves, and now all of the uh, uh, all the herbivores are grazing o- so much, overpopulating, that, overpopulating yeah. and they're grazing so much that now the river is flooding mm. because we took out the wolves. Like we need wolves. 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 Wolves get a lot of shit because of Little Red Riding Hood. Like nonsense. So I appreciate that when they say we're going to bring in an expert to see if there's a wolf attack, and the first thing the expert says is, wolves don't do that. <laughs> like, wolves literally don't eat people. Like, it's yeah. not a thing. So it's very, very bizarre. They treat it like it's very bizarre. Of course, it's a giant wolf. And because it's uh, 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 set in Norway, and I wish to God they'd done more with this, there's, an, there's a prologue where we find out that the reason why the wolf is here is because Vikings had gone, you know, a pillaging. And they had found in a monastery uh, a secret room. The monks were protecting it. And inside the room was a wolf. Mm. Like a baby wolf. And they took the wolf with them. And when the Vikings came back, only the wolf was alive on the ship. And now it's like an invasive species. But they also suggest in one of those scenes where, like, here's what the teacher in class is teaching, and it suggests that this is what we're really talking about. Uh, much in the same way that, like, in Nightmare on Elm Street, when uh, uh, Heather Langenkamp is in English class, they're teaching yeah. about the nightmare sequences in Shakespeare. That's yeah, uh, taught by Lin Shay. Oh, that's right about that. Yeah. Lin Shay was the teacher in Forget about that. Um, they're teaching about uh, Norse mythology, in particular, uh, Fenrir the Wolf. Fenrir yeah. the Wolf is one of Loki's three children who were pretty much prophesized to bring about the end of all things. Fenrir the uh, wolf was going to swallow the sun, and I think Fenrir was going to kill Odin. There was also Jormungand, the Midgard serpent, who was uh, a giant sea serpent who was so long it literally encircled the entire globe. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there was Hela, who uh, was lord of the underworld. Yeah. Uh, so the implication is that the werewolf is Fenrir. Mm. That's cool. Okay. I haven't seen that before. That's actually kind of neat. And then they don't do anything with that. And it basically turns into, oh, we're going to hunt down this wolf. Oh, I killed some of our people, but maybe we got the wolf. But wait a minute. The wolf attacks are still going. Is someone we know a wolf? And yes, yes, we were way ahead of you on that one movie. You've established this quite a long time ago. Um, For two-thirds of the movie... Aside from a couple of interesting ideas that are introduced but not explored, which is very frustrating, mm-hmm. this is really generic werewolf shit. Uh, like, it's just really... The werewolf does look pretty cool, but, like, it's not so cool that, like, you gotta check this fucking thing out. 
Like, it's fine. It's not incompetent or anything, but it's kind of old hat, and it just feels like... I was watching this with my partner, and uh, they were talking about how, you know, a werewolf story is kind of well-trodden territory, and the metaphor they used was leftovers. You know, this kind of story is is kind of leftovers. We're reheating the leftovers. And if you want to make it feel like a new meal, you got to dress it up a bit. You know, you have to add some more spices. You have to, like, you know, incorporate another element. You have to try to... You know, take this old story and make it feel fresh. And for a long time, it feels like the only thing they've got to make it feel fresh is it's set in Norway. Uh, which is fine, but yeah. it's not really enough to carry the movie. Um, and I'll, But I'll say this. It, the climax, though not amazing, uh, ratchets up the mayhem. And there's some pretty cool stuff in the climax. So I, it did end reasonably well. Okay. Uh, so, it, again, not mind-blowing, not doing anything new with the form. But after a relatively, like, okay, but just kind of mediocre first two thirds, at the very least, the energy accelerated towards the end. And I did yeah. I did ultimately have a reasonably good time. Uh, but it's frustrating. It's not a great uh, werewolf movie. Mm. Uh, it's the second werewolf movie I've seen this year. Uh, one, it was from Sundance. I'll review it when it finally comes out. It's called My Animal. Uh, and that's one that's very much about, uh, you know, werewolfism as... Uh, um, uh, queer and I think particularly gender queer uh, okay. allegory. Uh, good character piece. Okay, werewolf movie. Uh, this one just an okay werewolf movie. Uh, not bad, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not bad. It, it's so frustrating to just talk about something that's just kind of mediocre because I don't have mm. a passionate opinion about it. Yeah, it doesn't. Again, well, I think this is why a lot of cri- I've I've heard a lot of I disagree with this, but I've heard mm. a lot of critics say. Um, it's it's better to watch uh, a bad movie than a boring movie. I wouldn't like say somehow, it's better to watch a bad yeah. movie than a boring movie, but I would say it's easier to write about a bad yeah, movie than a boring movie. Professionally, it's e- yeah. e- much easier to write about a movie you're passionate about, even yeah. if you hate it. Exactly, because then you're like you're 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 interested and you want to have something to say. And here yeah, it's yeah. like the Fender thing's kind of cool. I wish they'd done something with it. Otherwise, it's fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but but I, I disagree with the notion that the worst thing a film can do is be boring because the worst thing a film can do is be fucking terrible oh. and offend me. And I think and, the worst and, thing to do is like to like bring evil onto the world, yeah, which sadly it, some art can per- do. Perpetuate evil yeah. ideas. Speaking yeah. of which, oh can, shit, can we, good segue. Can we get to knock at the cabin? We're gonna talk uh, about knock at now. Again, we're gonna talk as uh, vaguely spoilery as we can. Hmm. No actual spoilers. We're gonna talk about because the movie introduces a question. And it doesn't say what the answer to the question is for a while. Mm. When we get to the point where we have to talk about the answer to the question, we will let you know. Yeah. There's a time code in the in the episode. You can jump ahead and you can see a review roundup at the end of the episode. Uh, so knock at the cabin. Knock at the cabin. Uh, this is the latest film from M. Night Shyamalan, who um, runs extremely hot and cold. Oh, my God. Uh, when he's good, he's so good. He's He's been on a couple times and he's been way, way off uh, as well. What's your favorite M. Night Shyamalan movie? Because he's, he's um, done a lot. I'm, I'm very fond of Signs. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm very... Signs is underrated, I feel. Yeah. I think people give the ending too much shit. I think it's a really good movie. Uh, I, and, and, I do, and I do like Split and I do like Unbreakable. Mm. I think those are all good movies. Um, yeah. I think six, it's, it's interesting. We take The Sixth Sense kind of for granted. I think a little so, bit. Yeah. I, it's, it's been a while really since I've good. seen it, but I re- remember really, really loving The Sixth it's, Sense. It's really kick-ass. Uh, uh, I thought The Visit was quite strong. Yeah, The Visit is good, too. Um, but The Happening is enjoyably ridiculous, but I actually agree. I think Signs is, in some respects, mm-hmm. like a really underappreciated movie. The score for Signs is one of my favorite horror <laughs> yeah, movie scores. And, and he has yeah. great, great photography. Oh, he's such a good eye. Uh, he's such, got such a good eye. Yeah, the... Yeah. Uh, 
even though the, the movie is not good, I think the photography in the village, uh, oh, yeah. like, so, sort of his use of color in that movie was, is really Was that Oscar nominated for cinematography? Because yeah, yeah. that, that movie, like, again, uh, the, the plot of that movie is, is awful, but it's incredibly <laughs> good looking. It was nominated for best score. score okay. But also a good score, but I would yeah, say that um, the cinematography is, like, really excellent. Yeah, so so he's, he's a really interesting visual stylist. Yeah. Sometimes when he's off, he's still interesting. Yeah. Uh, he made a, a science fiction film called After Earth, yeah, uh, which that's a is weird film. a very bizarre film about like the power of being emotionless. And yeah. um, I, I felt like a lot of the design <coughs> in that it takes place in the future, and every, in the future everything's like sort of made of like cloth and canvas. Like it's yeah. a weird kind of it's, sci-fi it's a, design. It's, that a cool it's a cool aesthetic. It's a cool aesthetic. I'll give you that. Uh, He's yeah. He also did a, a, a film mm. adaptation of The Last Airbender, which I know is widely oh. loathed. I, I don't. I don't care that it strays from the source material mm. at all because I have no. I, I care that it strays badly. Uh, well, I, I just care that it's bad filmmaking. Yeah. It, it doesn't really. If he had done it well and it was still bad yeah. filmmaking, it would still be a bad movie. I, that's how I feel uh, as well. But I feel like it is bad filmmaking. Yeah. So it, yeah. I think bad filmmaking is sort of the the primary crime of that movie. Yeah, he so was a weird just, fit for it. I don't think he understood yeah. the, the the material. Yeah, um, he, he turned it into sort of his own thing, so. which which is not always a bad thing. No, but in this particular instance, I, I don't, I don't, think, I don't it think, did, think he did anything interesting. It didn't do it. the movie any favors, and it didn't do the source material any mm-hmm. favors. Um, so yeah, he's, yeah. He's, he's been hot. He's been on and off. And um, yeah. but I, I will say this for M Night Shyamalan, yeah. and I appreciate this about M Night Shyamalan. Even when I don't like his movies, always takes big swings. He's, he's, he's it's he, never for a lack of ideas yeah. uh, that that his his films fail. And a lot of people talk about they all have twist endings. A lot of them do. But there was a moment, and I'm actually kind of bummed this didn't happen, but I guess it was a legal thing, uh, where M. Night Shyamalan was going to bring back Tales from the Crypt on yeah, television. Yeah, there, there were some rights issues. And I remember that, some yeah. people were like, oh, that seems like a weird fit. Like, no, that's perfect. M. Night Shyamalan knows how to, like, set up character, build to a story, and then really punch you at the end. It's mm-hmm. not always a well-placed punch. And it doesn't always knock you out, <laughs> but it's all that he's really good at that construction. He appreciates old school mm. thriller construction, and when he's great, he's great. When he's bad, he's usually at least interesting. And that brings us to Knock at the Cabin, which is an adaptation of a novel which I have not read. The novel is called Cabin at the End of the World, mm. uh, and the premise is this: uh, there is a gay couple. Uh, they are played by uh, Jonathan Groff and the and other ben, guy. Ben Eldridge. Uh, ben Eldridge, thank you. Um, they have an adopted daughter. Uh, she's played by Kristen Kui. Um And she's and she's like eight. She's, she's eight. Pretty, pretty young. Good young actor, but, you know, mm. it's small role, really. Not, 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 not as much as as you might think. Especially after from the guy who gave you uh, uh, The Sixth Sense. Mm. Um, and The Visit. The kids are good. And The Visit. The kids are very good in The Visit. I like that movie. Um... Mm. But uh, in any case, they're they're on vacation. They're in a cabin mm-hmm. in the woods, and they are visited uh, by four people, four mysterious people, uh, played by Dave Batista, Rupert Grint, uh, Nikki Amuka Bird, and Abby Quinn. And they have brought with them handheld implements of destruction that appear yeah, to have been a, welded together from various they're, they're like, things they found around the house, they're like altered pickaxes with like chains on them and stuff. Yeah. Really kind of weird, threatening looking things. And, and they, they, they break into the house. They knock at the door and they say, you got to let us in. We have to talk to you. It's a matter of life and death and the entire world is at stake. Mm. And after attempting to keep them out, they find themselves tied to chairs and Dave Batista lays out the premise. And the premise is this, this is not a spoiler. This is the premise. 
Uh, we have all had visions of the end of the world. Mm. They're all the exact same vision. We are convinced that we have been spoken to by a higher power. Uh, and we have come to you with a choice. We think it sucks. We're very sympathetic to your plight. Mm. But you need to do this. As a family, you need to decide which one of you can be sacrificed to save the world. We can't make the decision for you. We can't kill them for you. And if you kill yourself, it doesn't count. So those are the uh, rules. And if you and don't do it, literally the entire world will end. Uh, uh, the rules aren't ever really explained. They just, this is the feeling that they have. Yeah, there's like, not like... Why it has to be the, these particular people at that yeah. place. They, they even it, say like... They how just, it connects yeah. to the rest of the world. Uh, yeah. Like the history of these sorts of kills. Cause clearly this has happened before. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, yeah. It raises a suggestion. Like I was, I was thinking about this. It's like, so the idea of this is that th if we are to believe these people, and that's the question, mm. are these people religious fanatics who are experiencing some kind of shared delusion or is this real or is there some kind of third thing, yeah. but it's pretty much one or the other. Um, and depending on which, what you believe and the, the movie eventually decides, and we'll talk about that. Um, the movie could take on a couple of different forms, but um, where was it going with this? I had a point. Oh, couldn't say. <laughs> we're talking about oh the the, the rules. There aren't really oh, yeah. there aren't really any rules. Mm -hmm. They're not going off of anything. This is all. Um, uh, He's just sort of making it up. You know, they, they could be making it up. Yeah. That's the whole point. So um, I thought I had more to say than that. Uh, well, the point is there. There's there's not like sort of a larger myth. It's not like yeah. we've been, we've been doing this for a long oh, time. No, no, but this book. That the we've the been implication going is that, that the implication uh, is that every once in a while this happens, and someone yeah. has to, some family has to make a horrible sacrifice. Yeah. That was what I was getting at, and I, it occurred to me like, okay, if we take that, if we take them at their word, there, assuming that that's what the movie is about. Uh, Noah was an asshole. Mm. Because Noah probably, because <laughs> what they say is that the world will end and your uh, family will be fine. Yeah. Or you kill one member of your family and the rest of the world doesn't end. And then I'm thinking of like, so did Noah just say no to that? That'd, like be, all kind of, that'd be kind of an interesting twist. That's yeah. the twist. It yeah. Flashes back to, to Noah and it's like, well, yeah, yeah we could have done it, but we didn't. Yeah. And there was a flood. Whoops. Yeah. <laughs> um. Okay, that that's like fine Tales from the Crypt. You Very spend Tales from the Crypt. 30 minutes with that and you're good. Yeah. Uh, this is a feature film, so... Uh, not a short one. It, it's, it's about 110 minutes. 140 uh, minutes. It's not, it's not that long. No, not, no, sorry. It's an hour and 40 minutes. An hour I don't know how I minutes, did that. Yeah. I, I, I saw the one, the four, and the zero. And I... <laughs> it wasn't that long. I'm oh, not yeah. math. All right. Uh, in order to sort of uh, take this... 30 minute premise and sort of stretch it out. Yeah. Uh, M. Night Shyamalan gives us the past of the main characters. Mm -hmm. uh, their, their names are um, Eric and Andy, I think. Uh, we'll double check. Yeah, Eric and Andrew. Yeah, Eric and Andrew, names. yeah. And we get to see the how, husbands, yeah, um, yeah the, the, these two husbands, we get to see um, various stages throughout their relationship and how hard it's been yeah. for them to find the bliss that they've gotten. Yeah, rejection to, uh, from this, their parents. Yeah, they were rejected and, by their parents. There yeah. was a, a scene where um, just for talking in a bar, one of them was smashed over the head with a beer bottle by some yeah. passing bigot. Yeah, and uh, then they had to like they had, they had to lie to, in order to, to adopt, adopt a child. A child. Yeah, yeah, they had to go out of the country. They had to lie. Yeah. There's all of these uh, these ways that uh, queer people have mm. been persecuted. Yeah, uh, were things they've experienced, and yeah. it's part of part of their story. And they finally reach the point where they're they're happily married, mm -hmm. and they're happy together. And they talk about how they're happy together, and they have a child, and they're just mm. a, a close knit family unit. Yeah, everything about them is great. And 
where the, that wind chime is really going. I yeah, don't know and, if anyone can hear the, that. Okay. The, the world has been trying to uh, beat them down. And yeah. the idea that these uh, sort of religious zealots and they, these four cultists yeah. appear at the door, essentially like, you know, Jehovah's Witnesses or, there, or some visiting uh, like religious converts. There, there's even a joke early yeah. on where they think that might be all this is. Are these yeah. just like really hardcore Jehovah's Witnesses? Like, what yeah. are we doing here? Yeah, and but that's that's the, that's the iconography that we're playing yeah, off. Of. That's so, what the knock at the door is, and, so and Dave Batista plays the main guy, and he's got this very, uh, very conservative, you know, mm. button down shirt. Like he looks like he should be teaching at your kid's school. Yeah, he's a teacher actually. So he's, there you he's, go. Yeah, but like, a, yeah. reveals he's yeah. a high school sports yeah. coach. Um, so th- they're the two main characters, Eric and Andy, uh, uh, Eric Andrew, excuse me. Yeah. Assume that that's what's going on, that these are uh, extremists, some kind of religious Mm. zealots who have broken in and uh, are essentially saying to them, you need to, you need to die. One of you needs to die and and you need to be okay with that. And it's, and it's not sort of like a hateful, we're going to murder you because we hate you. It's a, you, it's, it's. They're like apologizing for it. They're apologizing for it. They're almost in that realm of, you know love the sinner hate the sin kind of condescending mm-hmm. uh gay conversion therapy yeah. kind of language they repeatedly say over uh, and over again especially dave batista that not yeah. only did they not know what family would be in this cabin they just knew the family that is here is going to be the, the mm. one that needs to make a sacrifice uh but he repeatedly says this is not about you being gay mm. this is nothing we didn't know this is completely yeah. coincidental and the movie keeps repeating that over and over again but the movie still chose i know the book did too mm. um to make this about a gay couple. It's about a gay And that brings with it baggage. And because this is a movie, not a, a mm. book, we're constantly uh, seeing on screen two gay men mm. tied to chairs yeah. being tormented. So there's two possibilities yeah. at this point, and we're still not in spoilers yet. I'm going to talk about the potentiality of the story. Yeah. There's two possibilities well, at the, play Well, here. There's, a, there's a couple. But there's yeah. a couple, but there's two main mm. things. They could go in different third directions, but the movie wants to consider that one of two things is happening. Either one isn't great. Hmm. Uh, the first option is the world isn't going to end, and what we are watching is four quasi-religious zealots. They don't specifically name a religion, but they're hmm. doing this preventive, like a biblical apocalypse, uh, breaking in uh, to a gay family's dwelling uh, and telling them they have to kill each other. Hmm. Because essentially God wants it yeah. that way, the, the, and and be, then because it's it's almost like because of gay marriage, yeah, the world's gonna end. I mean, and and again, they say it's yeah. not about that, but that's literally what's happening on screen. Mm-hmm. And so, if that's the case, then the whole movie is prefaced on "We thought you'd like to see that," mm. which is not. I'm not saying it's not fair game. It's a horror movie. It can explore the darker shit, but that's a choice. Yeah. The other possibility that is directly toyed with is that they are telling the truth and that it is indeed true that there is something supernatural going on, there is a higher power, whatever religion is behind it, and in order to save the world, these two gay men and their daughter, Mm. she's not really going to be the one to make this choice probably, but uh, (laughs) these two gay men are basically have like a day uh, to decide uh, that essentially the Old Testament type religion that has been oppressing them their whole lives uh, is right. Mm-hmm. 
and that the world would literally be better off if one of them were dead. Yeah. And that is also a choice. And frankly, both of those movies, if you're going to make either of those movies, you have to be incredibly thoughtful about it. You have to really think out what that means, what that explores, uh, what that says, because there's some really dodgy moralizing going on there. And both of them, are, I think, are gross unless you handle it just right. Uh, I, I guess we can start getting into spoilers at this point. Okay, so from here on out, we're going to tell you where they go and how it plays out and why we don't think yeah, it works. No. Uh, so, it, again, jump ahead if you want to mm-hmm. in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Spoilers now. All right. Uh, one of the conceits of this movie is that um, when uh, the main characters decide not to kill each other, mm-hmm. uh, one of the cultists will die. Yeah. At the hands of the other cultists. Yeah, they don't they don't kill uh, it's not like, oh, if you don't do it, we'll kill one of you. It's not, we'll kill one of us. Yeah. And when that which is happen, weird. When that happens, it instantly instigates some massive disaster yeah. that kills thousands. Um, I think it starts off with a tidal wave. It, it's like it's a, a tsunami. Yeah. Uh, there's there's an earthquake and a tsunami, and there's evidence presented to the audience mm. that it's faked. Uh, mm-hmm. they, they're watching a news report seeing the tsunami, but they've learned that the tsunami actually had happened and that report had been broadcast mm-hmm. hours prior. So there's a really so good chance that the, the they cultists knew had about sort of yeah. timed this out. Another piece of evidence I mentioned that uh, mm-hmm. one of them was smashed in the head with a beer bottle in a bar. Mm-hmm. The person who smashed him on the head is one of the cultists yeah. who is lying about his name. Yeah. And there's another piece of evidence. They say that they met in an online forum. Now, that doesn't really mean a lot, but... It does now. When somebody said we met in an online forum, there were laughs in the audience. You kind of know what that means. You think yeah, about... that's 4- very QAnon. 4chan, yeah. QAnon, yeah. Uh, you know, Pepe the Frog again. It, 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 it's, not, it's, it's, not the, it's not usually the best start mm. to everything we're saying is above board and well thought out. Yeah, like we, we, met, we met on a forum is like almost yeah. random. And yeah. the uh, implication is that... Uh, the bigot character, the one who did the beer belt bottle smashing. Yeah. Uh, slip detection has been out there free and has been sort of yeah. carrying on this bigoted idea. Yeah. That, uh, and that he's gathered these people together specifically to terrorize these queer people. And, yeah. uh, that would have been a story. That would have been a very creepy story. That's not what this is about. No, it is not. Um, the characters sort of reveal a little, uh, the, the the cultist characters that mm-hmm. is reveal a little bit more about themselves. Mm-hmm. We're never sure who the, what their identity is. Yeah, there's that. Uh, um, well, towards the end, you do mm-hmm. finally get some clarity, but it's yeah. a there's there's doubt. Well, there's doubt. There's there's, doubt. there's there's some doubt. And uh, if they're lying about who they are, that would make a little bit more sense uh, in terms of them having been radicalized. Mm-hmm. So, the cultists kill themselves off one by one. Every uh, time they do, something horrible something happens horrible to the happens. world. Tidal and wave, fires, planes, planes begin falling. crashing, there's yeah. like lightning strikes, the sky turns gray, yeah. it's all very apocalyptic. Very biblical. And, yeah, it's been established that if, uh, uh, if Andrew and Eric, if they do the sacrifice, uh-huh. then the air will just clear immediately. Yeah, everything but will be fine right away. But if they don't, everyone on Earth will die but them. That their family yeah. will survive. And their family is safe otherwise. Andrew, the one who was smashed on the head, mm-hmm. and who is... No, actually, Eric was smashed on the head. Or excuse me, Eric. Oh, but, oh, oh, sorry, they're both smashed on the head. Andrew was smashed on the head in the flashback. Mm-hmm. Eric was smashed on the head in the cabin. Oh, that's right. And is concussed. And, and Andrew, in the past, was smashed in the head okay, in the bar. just for clarity. Okay. And he is also a rights lawyer, and he has seen so many human rights violations mm-hmm. uh, that he uh, is a little bit disillusioned with humanity. Yeah. Here's a good possibility. Mm. 
let the world burn. Yeah. That would have been an ending. Yeah. That's not the ending they go for. It would have been a very bold ending. Yeah. No, they Uh, they decide that there is going to be... um, Okay, so, again, obviously, uh, they come to the conclusion, M. Night Shyamalan decides to make it abundantly clear that this is not a fake-out, and that these people are absolutely 100% keyed into some sort of divinity. It's not a particularly kind divinity. It, yeah. is, a, it is an Old Testament, I demand human sacrifice kind of thing. So, some sort of sac- yeah. sacrifice. Human sacrifice is linked to the movement of the world somehow. Yeah. Uh, it, they don't re- refer to a god or an intelligence. This mm. is just sort of the way the world is now constructed. Yeah, they, it's suggested that there's a divine purpose, I think, at one point... Dave Batista's character says he saw the destruction. It was like the finger of God. Yeah, um, but but not the, but the it's not that, specifically denominational. It, that is Eric. True. What you said was concussed, and he says he saw a face mm-hmm. at one point. He starts to believe it. Yeah. Now he's been concussed, so he's not reliable. Yeah. Uh, and Andrew says that to him. It's like you were hit in the head. I don't think I believe you either. Yeah. Uh, but that so that there is that's all he says. I saw a face. He doesn't yeah. say it's like. Christ's face no. or a specific deity. But he's also, uh, and it's also established that he was raised more religious hmm. than Andrew. So he's might yeah. be a little bit more prone to belief yeah. in um, an abstract sense. There's every reason to believe that this is bullshit mm-hmm. or uh, that this is such a dark way to construct the world that uh, nothing needs to happen. Yeah. Or, or if they're, they are going to kill each other, it's under the worst possible circumstances. It, it suggests Again, there's, there's, there's the if this is indeed, and the movie does side this way, mm. uh, that this is the way the world works, and there needs to be human sacrifice in order to keep the world going. Mm. Uh, fuck the world is a very rational response to that. Yeah, yeah. The uh, idea that the world literally has to run on cruelty, and in the case of this specific film, we decided, and again, the characters say it's a coincidence, but it's not. It's a conscious choice on the part of the storytellers. Yeah, they, they wrote it this way. They, they decided any way they wanted. They decided, and they try to make it seem like a compliment. Like, no, don't you understand? Your your queer family is a love as pure as any other family, and that's why you have to die. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, that's not a compliment. No. That's actually no, no, really it's, fucked it's... up. And the suggestion that the only way to keep the world spinning is to is, kill is the, the blood of a gay man. Is the yeah. kill is to kill a gay man mm. or gay per, any gay person mm. really. Um, is so fucked up in its construct, and sure enough, the movie ultimately goes there. And as soon as it happens, what, the sky is clear yeah, what, and everything's what, great. Well, what happens? And, and again, we're yeah. in spoiler territory. This is so huge this, spoiler territory. This, this is the end of the movie. Yeah. Uh, Eric, who's yeah. the one who has been concussed. Says to Andrew, mm-hmm. uh, I want our daughter to grow up. I don't want her to live on a, a wasted oh, world. Yeah. I, want, I, I, I had a vision of her happy with you as her dad in the future. And she's an adult and she's living her life. And that's blissful yeah. for her. But you have to kill me. And it's almost... He, he, conv- he convinces Eric... Or he convinces yeah. Andrew to do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Andrew kills Eric. Yeah. He kills his own husband. Yeah. For the benefit of their daughter. That's, and that's the benefit of the world, which doesn't the, like them. Yeah. Uh, well, he does it for the daughter. He doesn't he does care it for about the, I realize that, but yeah. but Andrew is insisting, or Eric he, is insisting, yeah. now, because of everything. If the movie had ended with uh, sort of a, either a moment of regret, uh-huh. if the movie, if he had done that and the world still ended, that would have been a different ending. That would have been bold. And this is just humanity's last gasp as it, you yeah. know, 
set. The, the, this we're, is, we're gonna we're gonna get last uh, a fist of hate right on, yeah. on the way down. This like is, that would have been a dark yeah, movie. As the world collapses, mm. we we fall prey to mm. uh, uh, sort of a, a it's kind of hateful paranoia. Well, it, yeah. it's just paranoia, like this sort of mm. religious fervor. Like this, mm. the, the, this makes sense. The world is falling apart, mm. uh, and we were told the world would fall apart in an apocalypse. And I choose to believe that, but it turns out that was um, mm. that wasn't necessarily necessary. No. no. Yeah, but that'd been terrifying. The the twist in Shyamalan's movie is that everything was exactly as the uh, the yeah. cultist said. Yeah. In fact, there's a shot where um, uh, Andrew goes out to the car and it like looks through their belongings a little bit, and yeah. it turns out they were exactly who they said they were. There was no yeah. lies. Well, the guy, they were trustworthy, normal people. Yeah. Well, That's the one the guy, the one guy was the guy who who hit him. There was yeah. he was that guy, mm-hmm. but other than that. Yeah. He was entirely trustworthy, yeah. The, the point is, everything was as they said. Everything was. was above board. If you if uh, you just believed mm. the religious extremists mm. who wanted to kill this queer family, mm. everything would be... Everything would have been okay. Yeah. The fuck? Yeah, uh, and... That's, well, here, here's the thing. It's scary, thing. but it's also it's, irresponsible. It's scary and it's irresponsible. Yeah. And, uh, and Shyamalan films it completely irresponsibly in mm-hmm. that uh, once it happens, uh, Andrew and and his daughter, when yeah. they get into a car and they turn on like a pop song they're, they're really fond of and then they turn it off. It's like, yeah. this is not a, a triumphant ending. Yeah. But then they turn it back on again. Yeah. And this is like, and then they drive off and they stop at a diner and everybody's sort of calling each other in the wake of all of these disasters that yeah. happened over the course of the movie. And uh, they've mysteriously and re- stopped. And they've all mysteriously stopped, and there's these reports, everything stopped, and everybody's calling these, uh, like, loved ones, and they're relieved, oh, thank goodness. Yeah. There's so much love. I'm so glad we're, uh, you survived. The idea being, yeah. this was the intended ending. Mm-hmm. That everything's fine now. And they mm-hmm. sail, and they drive off, and the, there's a lot of sunlight, mm-hmm. and there's this sort of beatific music. Mm-hmm. Everything has been oh, solved. Oh, and the cabin was conveniently struck by lightning and burned down, mm-hmm. so there won't be any inconvenient questions. Yeah. So, yeah. so the idea that uh, everything that uh, they experienced in that cabin, all that pain, mm-hmm. and the murder that they were forced to commit was the correct thing to do. Yeah. <laughs> that, if the, if, it's hard for me to accept Shyamalan's conceit uh-huh. that this was done for the love of his daughter. Yeah. When so much of this movie is predicated on the deliberate torment of queer characters. Now, I'm going to say this right now uh, uh-huh. because I share your interpretation of the film. I know some people thought it was like, oh, these are such well-written characters. Mm-hmm. Maybe so, but in service of a really gross narrative. And some people are like, well, but what about these actors who participated in it? And do you think they want to make this message? No, I think people make movies all the time thinking they're going to turn out good and then they don't. That's not... I'm sure everyone had good intentions trying to make this movie. Uh, I, I would be surprised if everyone's like, we're going to do something really horrible today. Like, they probably thought they were doing something good. I will give credit where credit is due. I think Dave Batista is giving a great performance in this movie. Um, but... Uh, Dave Batista started his career as a wrestler. Yeah. And uh, he he was cast in sort of like bruiser roles in movies. Yeah, uh, I saw him, I saw him I think for the first time in uh, uh, the, the Scorpion King three. That's right. Yeah. It's, yeah. And and so yeah, he played like sort of like sword wielding tough guys. He yeah. was even in the the Marvel movies. He's sort of like the big dumb tough guy. Yeah. Uh, he has likable, but yeah. You know, he said guy. in interviews though that his goal isn't to be a movie star; it's to be a great actor. Yeah. And good for him. So yeah. he's actually like seeking. Roles, He's things interesting that are challenging roles. for him that don't fit his sort of 
physique. And again, lack of credit where credit is due. Yeah. Legitimately rock solid performance, giving a yeah, very very good performance. And, and I think he actually yeah. is focusing on his craft, and I yeah. admire that about him. Now, again, I think everyone in the movie is trying to make a good movie, and I'd be surprised if anyone was explicitly trying to do something. Uh, uh, bigoted mm. or despicable, but that doesn't mean that isn't how it turned out. No, they, and you they, can make a movie out, kind of thoughtlessly. Yeah, it turns out yeah. they did make something bigoted and despicable yeah. because yeah. Uh, I, I can't. I've been trying to find other like entryways into this movie, and I can't yeah. find anything I, other than the hateful one. No, nothing that's well supported by the text. There's a couple of lines of dialogue. Where they say, ah, oh, but this isn't about you and your family. But I'm like, but it is, because everything else in the movie is explicitly about that. And then when it comes to the ending, which I think is very interesting. I I, I haven't read the book, but I've looked into it. Uh, and people have pointed this out to me, and I've confirmed mm-hmm. it. Um, the book has a very different ending. Okay. The very specific ending that they chose for this movie is not represented by the original text. They explicitly chose to go in this exact direction, and I think it was a very poor choice, and based on what I heard about the ending of the book, the unbending of the book, is actually sounds pretty good. At the very least, it sounds more satisfying. Uh, but they didn't go there. They explicitly changed it in the adaptation, which is their right. They should. You should change things if you feel like it'll make the story stronger, or, uh, and again, maybe it's a mistake, maybe it's not, but you try. They took a big swing. Mm-hmm. I think it is extremely miscalculated. I think it is extremely wrong-headed. I think it's kind of thoughtless at best. Mm. Uh, and I think ultimately, what it amounts to is this. If, would a shitty person watch this movie and say to themselves, yep. Mm-hmm. I think, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can say like, oh, but they're, you know, they're sweet people. Yeah, but also, yeah. God very explicitly wanted that particular family mm-hmm. unit destroyed, didn't they? And I'm like, yeah, that's not something that anything in the text doesn't support. Yeah, there's, and that's there, fucked. I I wish this had been a little bit more uh, a little bit of a talkier film. Yeah, if there had been a lot more interrogation of yeah. as to sort of the philosophy of this, if the cultists had been sort of confronted, if the cultists had maybe counter argue like these sort of misguided counter yeah. arguments for why they were doing what they were doing like really thoughtful if, like I, you know what I kept thinking if there was a little bit more uh, leaning into the fact that these people had been sort of radicalized yeah. by these visions it it stays way too much in sort of the slick thriller territory mm-hmm. to delve into those uh, yeah. those ideas there's these asides so I would have to like escape and get to the car because the mm-hmm. car has a gun in it and mm-hmm. I'm like yeah, I get it that's that's the thriller element I'm not saying it's badly shot or anything mm-hmm. but I was watching this and I kept thinking to myself I think the best version... I mean, again, I haven't read the book, but I feel like the best adaptation, the best medium for this, radio play. Yeah, it would have been great as a radio play. I can imagine, it's just discussion. Yeah, like literally... And it's all you need. You don't really need to see much. Mm. So it's based... Because this is a movie about ideas. This is a movie about trying to convince people of an extreme idea mm. in a very short amount of time that is absolutely not in their best interests. And that's potentially intriguing. I've seen... A, I've read... Scene. I've heard a lot of great radio plays along that line. It's very early Twilight Zone. It's very yeah. early Outer Limits. It's a scary idea. The idea for people who, especially people who don't believe in God, um, that not only is God or religion real, mm. but it's not the nice version, it's the fucked up human sacrifice version, Yeah, uh, is legitimately terrifying. And it's one of the reasons why I think Frank Darabont's The Mist is one of the best horror movies of the 21st century. At least that ending really kind of... That ending 
Like it, 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 speaking of uh, uh, yeah. stories that do well on radio, there's actually a really wonderful yeah. uh, radio rendition of The Mist from the 1980s. Oh, cool. But uh, put up by ZBS Media. I, I highly recommend yeah. it. Look out that one. But the original story didn't have that ending. Frank yeah. Darabont decided to give it an ending that was extremely sad, mm. extremely apocalyptic, but also that hammered home very specifically the interpretation of that movie that I believe it's like Mrs. Carmody, the character played by um, Marsha Gay Harden. Uh, the yeah. one who the one who leads people into religious fervor and keeps saying these things that are like absolutely maddeningly clearly untrue about how God is a hateful God. Mm. By the end of that movie, you realize literally everything she said was right. Yeah, and the mist understands that that's terrifying. Yeah. And cabin at uh, the knock of the cabin mm. wants us to feel kind of reassured a little bit at the end. Like, that, yeah, it's scary that, that, and it's that bad, everything but... everything fell into place. Like, oh, thank God, everything's be, uh, fine. Like, no, that's uh, almost worse. That everything worked out. Yeah, it should, yeah. It, it should have ended with, you know, they turn on the, the radio and there's, like, that happy pop song. Yeah. Uh, and they just turn it off again. Yeah. And, and then they just, just drive cry. off and the sky is gray. Yeah, it's like, or they cry. That would have been fine, yeah. too. Like, they don't really even get that moment. They're, I guess we do a little bit in the treehouse, but um, mm. the movie, other the other movie, and I, I don't think we're talking about it very much because it's it delve into spoiler territory. Mm. Uh, that this is absolutely of a piece and and not just superficially is Cabin in the Woods, which is also about a cabin in the woods that demands a blood sacrifice yeah. to an angry deity. The idea but that's in, all that's all metaphorical, but yeah. it's 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 more it's more whimsical and it's more uh, metatextual because it's about like how every movie about people in a cabin in the woods is about. Just people dying in that cabin. And the right, idea that's... is, what if that was necessary in order to keep the world going? We have to sacrifice I... people in a cabin in the woods hmm. to angry gods. I think you said that wrong. I think you should say, <coughs> what if there was like, yeah. this cabin in the woods, man? It's yeah. so, that's a stoner. But here's the thing. Large. That's the same fucking setup here. The only hmm. difference is that the characters played by uh, Bradley Whitford and Richard Jenkins show up at the cabin yeah. and ask. But that's it. It's the same fucking movie, except the ending of Cabin in the Woods is much more of a fuck you, and honestly, a more well-justified fuck you yeah, yeah. than what we get in this movie. And ultimately, it's weird. I want the... It's weird to me uh... that the Cabin in the Woods ultimately feels more mature because at least they got an ending that works. And, and the cabin in the I'm not the big uh, the hugest fan of the cabin in the woods. No, I, I think it's you know, I think it's clever. I, you know? I, 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 I used to like it more than I do now, yeah. but I think it's clever. I think it's a fun movie. But like, like I said, it's like um, it, it feels like somebody just had a conversation while they were high and wrote it yeah. into a screen. It's, it's almost too clever. It's yeah, almost like um, too well thought out. Mm, like, but a little much. But like, and not not in like a brainy sort of way. It's like, no, uh, like they're just, just like throwing in more details, like, and then it's yeah. like oh, and now there's just mayhem. It's yeah, like, oh, this isn't fun anymore. Mm. Um, yeah. But I want that ending. Yeah, in Knock at the Cabin. Yeah, I do. I mean, it, it, it it's a ballsy ending. I wish it was like yeah. had played with the meta text like a little bit more. Like the angry, like the angry deity is literally us in that movie. Yeah. So uh, ha- have us show up in the movie. Have like yeah. an audience member, like some guy holding well, popcorn. Because again, you can that if been you kind of fun. if you wanted to play with it in a meta way, and I realize that Matt Shyamalan isn't doing that. He's tried that before with stuff like uh, Lady in the Water, and it didn't really work for him. <laughs> Um, <laughs> scoff yeah that's another one where mm. you can just see him smoking weed um but uh uh again i i the the uh, the ultimate home invasion movie as far as i'm concerned is michael haneke's funny games mm. pick one um the idea in funny games is that these people are walking into someone else's house and committing acts of horrible violence because the audience is here because you showed up, you paid money to see a horror movie, 
Ergo, uh, the, the, horror the, movie things have to happen, the, the and horror, we are doing what we are yeah, what you the, asked us to do. The horror wouldn't exist if we didn't go into the theater. Too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the Alfred Hitchcock's The Birds plays with this a little bit as well because they never explicitly explain why the birds thing is, but the birds are attacking, and there's a woman in a diner who has a speech that works on that level, and I love that. Um, there's something to be said for that here too. That's why this is happening, and. It's frustrating to me because I don't think M. Night Shyamalan is an un, is an unintelligent filmmaker. I think he's just really resting on his laurels here. He thinks the premise is going to get us through. And this is a premise that is such a huge can of worms, especially considering the baggage and the context that you are consciously choosing to include. Uh, that, no, you have the responsibility, I think, to explore this in as much thoughtful detail as you could in order to, A, make that premise work, mm. B, make it scary without making it just irresponsible, and C, make it seem like it's not repugnant. Mm. You did make it seem repugnant. And yeah. I know some people are, are are grooving on this film's wavelength. Um, there is a... a, 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 a <clears throat> I, I, I understand. Mm. There, well, John, one, one, one of yeah. the messages in, yeah. in the script, the thing that... Uh, M. Night Shyamalan thinks this movie is about is that uh, the love in this family is so powerful and pure it's like kind of needed to fuel the world like their their love (coughs) is is stronger than anybody's Mm -hmm. and a lot of people are taking a lot of uh, sort of hope from that yeah and that nice Um, maybe different things were asked from them the love between these two men is is <coughs> too pure for this world and a lot of people are taking and, and uh, they're inspired by the fact that they're willing to make sacrifices for their child and yeah that's what Shyamalan thinks it's about and that's what that's... some people are keying into and I I don't see, <coughs> I don't see it that way there is a there was a, a John Oliver episode he does a show called Last Week Tonight where uh, <coughs> excuse me we've been podcasting long enough I'm starting to yeah. my cough's starting to come back <coughs> excuse me I'll try to wrap this up quick John Oliver did it. <laughs> yeah. Whew. John Oliver did an episode or like a mini episode about Airbud mm. and about how the movie Airbud is kind of messed up if you really think about it. And he had a bit in there where he talks about how you accept the premise of the movie, but that's not enough. And the line he had, and I think this applies to a lot of movies. <laughs> I hear your point. I really do. It's the movie's point, isn't it? The movie fed you that point, and no disrespect, you ate it up uncritically. Which is to say that just because a movie tells you it's about something, that doesn't mean the rest of the movie actually supports that, or that even common sense does. And uh... that you not questioning the movie further isn't you unlocking the movie, it's you not questioning what you're given. And I don't Mm -hmm. think that's necessarily the healthiest way to approach material, especially material... As, as, you know, like this, yeah, where there's, the, uh, there's a lot riding on it. I've, I've, I've heard this a lot. Critics, we get lambasted a lot. Um, I, <coughs> I, I wrote an article about how this film was irresponsible, and I didn't realize until, like, long after that I was getting dogpiled on Twitter. I'm not yeah. paying as much attention to Twitter, no. so I didn't really notice. But um, uh, a, a lot of the complaints is uh, I'm, I'm not understanding what I'm saying. Yeah. You just didn't get it. And I just want to say that I got it. I'm unimpressed. The issue yeah. isn't that I didn't understand. I understood perfectly. I just don't 
I'm, I'm not impressed with what you were doing. I don't care what you were doing because you were doing mm-hmm. it bad. Or, you know, I didn't care because you were doing it badly. I'm talking about the end of this movie because I want to prevent people from seeing it. And I think it's reprehensible. Uh, I, I think it's fine to spoil a movie like this. So that's why we're talking about it so openly. Mm. Um, yeah, I, I, I loathe the message of this movie. This idea that the world requires the blood sacrifice of a happy queer couple in order to keep on turning <coughs> and, and doesn't mm. interrogate that or present it as, as a horror ending. Yeah. It, that's the happy ending for this yeah. movie. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, fuck it. Um, yeah. I, I, I see so, what the movie's trying to say to me. Yeah. And it's not, it's not, it's, some people and say I think like, it's saying it incredibly poorly. And I think it's actually saying something else much more loudly. I, I'm looking at some of the quotes mm-hmm. on your, your, just the post. Oh, you're going, you're going on my Twitter. I'm looking at just a little bit. And oh, some don't, people, don't do some people, that. some people, some people are generally saying, I just found the empathetic portrayal of their relationship mm-hmm. to be positive And they got me through. That's valid. Uh, some people think, oh, you're, you're, you, you didn't watch the movie or you're media illiterate. It's like, no, we're just, we're looking at the same thing and not everyone has the same takeaway. And I'm sorry, this is all in the text. Yeah. If this is not your takeaway. Okay. But that doesn't mean that this is inapt. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean that this is knee jerk. We're giving, we're dealing with what they gave us. And it, it, it we literally did not speak about this mm-hmm. while we were watching the movie. We didn't talk. We didn't look at each other. When we came out, it was just like it was fucked up, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it, it, it is. It's legit. It is fucked up, and I honestly, it bothers me. It really bothers yeah. me. So, um, again, some people got something positive out of it. I'm glad you did. Mm. I'm really glad you did. I wish I did. That'd have been great, but no, no, that's not what I got. Anyway, that is it for our main movie reviews. Uh, spoilers over. Uh, let's review some movies on the critically acclaimed scale. Our uh, scale runs from C minus to C plus. Uh, C minus is a movie we do not recommend. We think it is below average. Movie gets a C minus. A C is average. Mixed bag. Some good, some bad. Better for one audience than another. Just okay. Boom. Average. Get a C. C plus is above average. Those are movies we genuinely recommend. We might just think they're really quite good. We might think they're the best movie ever made. Anything in that spectrum. Boom. C plus. On that note. Mm-hmm. You can probably see where this is going, <laughs> uh, Whitney. What do you give? Knock at the cabin uh, again. Not, spoilers over. Yeah, not spoilers over. Knock at the cabin. This is a C minus. I think yeah. it's it's messaging is bad. Uh, the filmmaking is fine. Mm-hmm. The performances are fine, but I think the the filmmakers aren't thinking about what they're saying with this story, and they're actually saying something uh, just horrendous. Yeah, uh, I I agree. <clears throat> I think there's some competency here. I think there's some good performances here, uh, but generally speaking, I think this is very poorly conceived and developed mm-hmm. and ultimately the direction it goes in is I mean, at best it's thoughtless and at worst it's just shit yeah and it really pissed me off so um no i didn't care for it uh, let's see moving on viking wolf that's a proper definition of a c that is <laughs> nothing really wrong with it it just doesn't really do a lot new with the material but kudos to them it does improve as it goes along and the climax is pretty cool so mm-hmm. It's a C werewolf movie. There you go. If you really love werewolf movies, I guess that's more of a recommendation than for others. Uh, Baby Ruby. Uh, Baby Ruby. I'm going to give it, um, I guess, a pretty high C. Huh. Uh, I think if it had sort of put a button on it, it would have been a C plus. Yeah. Uh, it do- yeah, it does. But it doesn't do that. It's more of, yeah. like I said, it's this 
really great series of experiences and it actually addresses a lot about sort of the, the modern birth industry and mm-hmm. online life that is really fascinating uh it just doesn't draw it together yeah. well enough so it's only a say it is really windy out there you can probably yeah, hear can blinds hear going gusts of the, wind the, out, the, yeah. the, it's closed there's something like yeah. a tiny crack in the window it's doing that as well uh anyway last film is the amazing maurice and as i've been thinking about it as we've I reviewed the film. Um, I think it's a negative on Rotten Tomatoes, but Rotten Tomatoes is only a binary system, and we do not have a binary system here in the podcast. Mm -hmm. So I'm actually going to... I've decided I'm going to give it a very low C. Uh I think uh, there's too many interesting things going on there. It's still Terry Pratchett uh, to to completely write it off, but it is frustrating that it doesn't work better, and it's really frustrating that it isn't funnier than it is. Yeah, Uh, that's too bad. Yeah, but it's it's not awful or anything like that. It's just really never quite found the sweet spot but again it's not it's not bad either um so that's that um next time on critically acclaimed we'll be reviewing other things Whitney do you have any idea what's coming out uh ant-man isn't ant-man coming out next week oh yeah i guess this is the week after that yeah yeah so yeah, there's, um, there's a new there's a new Marvel on the horizon. That sure is, but that's not it's next week. Movie number five hundred and twelve. Oh, let's see what well, that's coming out next week. We got, oh, Magic Mike. Magic oh, Mike three is coming out. Magic Mike three. That's exciting. Uh, you know what? I've I've seen the Magic Mike live show now. Ooh, the one in Las Vegas. That's cool. Yeah, or it's a yeah all all, all male review. <coughs> uh, I, I was one of few a uh, few male members of the audience. Mm. Most mostly women in that audience. All right. I got a I got a drink and it wasn't very good. I finally saw but the last dancers year, were uh, awesome. I was on an episode of um, oh, what's that movie? Screen drafts. Oh, okay. So an episode of Screen drafts. And we did an episode where we ranked uh, the best dance movies. Mm. And I was on with Liz Shannon Miller, who was of course oh. awesome. Uh, and there was a couple big dance movies I'd never seen, and so I saw finally because mm. I missed it initially. Magic Mike XXL. And I love Magic Mike 1. <laughs> but I'd, I'd heard Magic Mike XXL was better. And I finally saw Magic mm. Mike XXL. It's fucking amazing. <laughs> it's so amazingly good. <laughs> I love that movie. Uh, uh, and I'm yeah. very excited about a third one. I, I think it's very, very good. Uh, I know a lot of... Goodly amazing. It, it, it's... It's amazing for a movie where nothing happens. <laughs> like, there's no plot to that movie at all. They just sort of... It's a very much a guy it, It's about, movie. like, just guys yeah. are hanging out and having a good time, and sometimes the point of life is just to hang out and have a good time. Like, that's the point of the movie. That's, that's not wrong. <laughs> no, I suppose not. Yeah. It's very pleasant. It's a pleasant experience while you're watching it. But, yeah, there's... I, I like There's well, no you know story what? at all. You know what? We'll talk about it more when we review the next Magic Mike movie, which we will totally do. Yeah. Uh, so, thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you for joining us. Uh... Thank you, everybody, who subscribes. Please subscribe if you haven't already. Uh, if you would like to join our Patreon, patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network, you can get a whole bunch of other exclusive shows. Mm. Uh, you can uh, listen to our show all our yesterdays. We review every single episode of Star Trek in order. Only the best. We review every single movie ever nominated for Best Picture in order. Uh, we've got the Step Up franchise. We're doing a podcast about all the Step Ups. We're about to delve into Step Up High Water, the TV series. Hooray. <laughs> um... We do uh, Discord Hangouts. I'm about to schedule another uh, movie trivia night uh, with our patrons. That's really exciting. So, And, of course, you can get all of our new episodes of our regular shows without any ads. So if you don't like ads, even $1 a month, boom, you can get it without ads. Um, also, I'd like to point out, and this is very exciting, uh, Salt Cat Soap, the soap store I run with my partner, M. Lapis da Silva. Uh, that is a Patreon as well. Patreon.com slash Salt Cat Soap. That is a Soap of the Month club. But... We just opened a Ko-Fi store, 
so that you can finally buy our soaps again. We're starting with only a few offerings to start with. Mm-hmm. Kind of just feel it out, try out that new system. But we've had some orders already. Thank you to everybody who already has. You can find the link on Twitter. Uh, we have Twitter at SaltCatSoap. Uh, however, I believe the official website is Kofi, K-O-F-I dot com slash SaltCatSoap. You can also buy signed books written by M. Lapis de Silva, which is very nice. exciting. Uh, you were, we are on Twitter at Critic Acclaim. I am at William Deviani. I'm at Whitney Seibold. Thank you again for 250 wonderful episodes, buddy. It's been great. Glad to be here. Give, give me a fist bump. No one yeah. can hear. Boom. Boom. <laughs> and never forget, everyone's a critic. I'm sorry, what? Cashback is not available on gas in New Jersey and Wisconsin. Hey, good morning. You're heading to the airport, right? Yeah, thanks for checking. I like the car. How long have you been a rideshare driver? About three years now. I really enjoy it. Isn't it hard to make money these days with the price of gas being so high? Not for me. I use Upside, the free app that gives you cash back for every gallon of gas you buy. Wait a minute. Are you saying you actually get real money back when you get gas with the Upside app? Yep, I get real cash back every time I get gas. Does that actually add up to anything? I'll make around $200 to $300. Wow, that's serious extra cash. I'm downloading the Upside app now. Download the free Upside app now to earn real cash back every time you buy gas. Use promo code CAR for an extra 25 cents a gallon bonus on your first tank. You can cash out anytime right to your bank account, PayPal, or a gift card for Amazon and other brands. Just download the free Upside app and use promo code CAR for a 25 cents a gallon bonus on your first tank. That's code CAR. 